What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Army of One podcast. I'll, I will be an Army of One today, believe it or not. There is no Joe today. It is just me. So I'll be your host for this evening, morning, afternoon, whatever time it is for you. And today we're going to be talking about sales myths, specifically things that I've been hearing, whether they come from, you know, just quote unquote gurus out there, business coaches, uh, seen in content here and there or here, some of y'all saying stuff like this. So some of this, you're going to be like, mm, that's me. I've said that recently. Uh, maybe you feel this way. Maybe you think this way. And you know what? First of all, let me say this. That's totally fine. As long as you are open to the opportunity of experiencing something different or taking into account uh, some other perspectives. And if that's the case, then you can scale your business, then you can grow, then you can earn and build this life that you deserve. Because these are myths, three of them specifically, I want to address today that are preventing business coaches, fitness coaches, coaches of all sorts, from achieving the goals they have. And that's just not okay with me. I hope it's not okay with you. And let's address these myths. Let's obliterate these myths. And let's move forward together. As always, if you guys like the podcast, be sure to subscribe. You can drop us a five star review. You can shoot us some emails over uh, just email me Jeff at SOSDojo.com. Would love to hear from you guys. If you got ideas for the show, if you got questions for the show, we'll bring them up on here. You want us to audit your sales process. If you want us to go through some tricky objections that you've been hearing lately and give you some ideas on what to do, we're happy to do that. That makes the show a little more fun, a little more interactive. So let's kick things off with this first myth that really, really grinds my gears. Maybe we could just relabel this episode, Jaws, what grinds my gears when it comes to selling. <laughs> so this first one is this, and I've been hearing this way too much from gurus lately, and it's just not true. And the myth is this, you can prevent 100% of sales objections with a perfect consultative process. And I'm here to tell you that that is absolutely not true. You cannot prevent all objections. I wish you could. Honestly, I, I run a company built on handling sales objections, and I'm here to tell you I wish you could prevent all objections. Yes, I'd be out of the job. Yes, I wouldn't have a business anymore. And I'd be okay with that because you know what? I get frustrated handling objections too. This is just one of those kind of fallacies where we hear it and we're like, yes, awesome, good. I was hoping that was true, right? It's just confirming, it's confirmation bias. It's confirming something that you wish to be true and then you just go along with it. Unfortunately, this is irresponsible on the behalf of those gurus saying these things. And the reason is when you go out and you try what they're doing without their gravitas, their celebrity, you can't prevent those objections. These folks are out there with hundreds of thousands of followers already. They are dumping just tens of thousands of dollars, if not way more than that, into Facebook advertising and other advertising platforms on a monthly basis. You might not even be doing that in a year. So to have somebody like that tell you to do it this way, the way that they're doing it is, again, irresponsible. My dog's chewing on something right now, by the way. So if you hear any clicking, that's a dog. Uh, he's my he's my office companion and he's not quiet. 
but uh, appreciate you hanging in there for it. So back on point here, you know, if if we can just all agree that there's going to be at least one objection, right? There's going to be at least one. If you have a perfect consultative process, what's going to happen is you're going to hear just one. And if you don't handle it, you will lose that sale. Now, I'm also not here saying that you're never going to experience a sales process where somebody comes in and they just say, take my money, sign me up. And they're just bashing their credit card on their keyboard. That definitely does happen. Here's the rule with sales. It's called the rule of consistency. If you cannot consistently make that happen, then it is not a solid concrete fact. So the last thing I would want you to do, because I'd hate for you to miss sales, is for you to roll into every appointment and be like, I've got the perfect consultation, nobody can stop me, and I'm never going to hear an objection again, because you're going to fall out of practice, you're going to be unprepared when you get hit with that objection. Because smart consumers will always object, no matter how perfect the offer is, no matter how amazing you are, how good the rapport is that you've built up, no matter how much they like you. Even a family member or friend should object if they're a smart consumer. And consumers in 2022 and beyond are very smart because they've been just bashed in the head with advertising, with marketing, with all of these like bait and switch tactics and all sorts of different things out there that seem like too good to be true, quote unquote. They've heard it all before for the last, I don't know six decades. So I mean, this is nothing new to anyone, you can't pull the wool over their eyes. And we can't go into these sales appointments expecting not to hear an objection. Because you'll be knocked off balance when you do and you will hear one. So please, if you're hearing this from a coach, if you're hearing this from a guru, First of all, say prove it. Show me five to 10 recordings of your calls where you've gone through and it's not an employee. It's not like a, a super warmed up lead. It's a cold traffic lead. And your consultation was so amazing that you experienced zero objections because uh, I don't think they'll be able to show you that. I'm willing to bet that they won't be able to show you that. Uh, and if they do, I don't believe it because <laughs> it's just not true. Um, you can have the best consultation ever in your entire life and you'll still hear something like, yeah, this sounds really good. It's a little bit outside my price range. And then all they're looking for is a little confirmation of A, value or B, can you have a better price? And it doesn't even mean that they need a better price to move forwards. Sometimes you can say, this is the best offer that I've got. And they say, all right, I'm in. And I'm sure we've all been there in some sales scenario in the past, whether you're buying a car, or you're buying a house. Well, that's a little bit different. It's kind of a nightmare right now. But buying a car, go back to that. And then, uh, you know, if you're I, I recently invested in an invisible fence, so that my office buddy can chew his bone out there. So he's not so loud on my dang podcast. Um, and, and with that, I didn't go with the best price. I went with uh, the person that answered my questions that addressed the value I was looking for that presented the option for uh, helping me train my dog on the fence. And that was actually the middle bracket price. So I didn't go lowest price and I didn't go highest price. I'm sure we've all been there. We've all done that. So let's just all agree right here right now that we believe you cannot eliminate all objections that exist on this planet before making a sale. It's just not possible. So do me a favor, do yourself a favor, do your business a favor and do your future clients a favor and just be prepared. 
that way you can address them and help them move forward. All right, so that's myth number one. Uh, myth number two, and all of these grind my gears, so I'm just going to keep saying that, that really grinds my gears, is this. Your clients will come to you if, and I inserted a little dot, 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 because there's a million things I've heard behind this. I'll give you an example. Your clients will come to you if you're the best coach. Not true. Your clients will come to you if you have the best amenities to your program. If let's say you you added, for example, like uh, some sort of meditation practice, if you invested into a breathing program, if you invested into the fanciest equipment at your gym, then people are going to come to you. Not true. Okay, people will come to you if you are the most certified personal trainer on the planet. Also not true. People will not come to you just because of the things you have or say or do per se. It's more of a, a culmination of everything that you offer. And it's the value proposition that you extend. And that value proposition, first of all, let me tell you, if you're if you own a gym, um, the equipment is not a part of your value proposition. It's not. And why? Because it's not unique. There are many other gyms, some of which have way more money than you do to afford the best of the best. And they can go find that. And they can usually get into that gym for a lot less than they can get into your gym. So keep that in mind. Like, I don't care if you have five, you know, bikes, five rowers, five ski ergs, uh, you know, 175 feet of like this really cool wall mounted, like squat rig, you know, whatever you got, it does not matter. They're not coming to you for that. What they need to come to you for is your unique mechanism. What sets you apart from everybody else makes you different and important, very important, and should be underlined and italicized, probably in bold. And that is, and they need to know <laughs> how you're better. Okay, so it's not just different. It's different and better. And make no mistake, if you started a business, you have planted a flag, you can't sit here and be like, well, I'm not better. Well, you have to be. You have to be better in some way. That is what sets you apart from everybody else. So we all have competition. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of our industries, a lot of our uh, businesses that we're running are, are falling into almost a commodity market, especially if we just resort to modules. We're like, oh, I got an online course. I got modules. That's a commodity now. You got to do something different. Where's your one-on-one? -on -one? Do you have small group? Uh, do you do you take, for example, like what we do at the SOS Dojo is we'll have up to 10 people in one of our groups. And that fosters higher energy levels. We get people thinking outside the box. They get to hear from different people how they handle objections and they get to network. They get to build their business off of that. And that makes it worth it. What makes us unique and different from everybody else in the sales space is that we are the only ones that do live IT or live interactive training. So everybody else is out here just dishing out, you know, scripts, like they're throwing money off a bridge and making it rain. And we don't, we don't make scripts rain. Yes, we have scripts. It's more so how you say things, right? It's not just what you say. If we look at communication on a spectrum, 7% of how you communicate is the actual words that you say. 38% of our communication comes from what I'm doing right now, which is tone. It's how I'm saying it. It's how you hear it from me. 
specific pauses, enunciation, volume changes, voice inflection, all those things. And then 55% of how we communicate is actually body language. So that might be a sign if you're doing sales calls over the phone. And yes, I do a phone like this because I was born in the 80s. Uh, Chaz is laughing at me. If you were not born in the 80s, then I don't know. Is this what they do? I don't even know what they do now, Chaz. Like, this is the only phone hand signal. If you guys are just listening to me, I'm making a phone signal. You insert your own phone signal there with your hand, okay? If you're doing that, you're missing out on 55% of the way we communicate your body language. So you're missing out. And body language builds trust faster than you would ever believe. And people buy from those that they know, like, and trust. We call it KLT. If you don't have KLT, making a sale is just going to be hard. So why make it hard on yourself? Make it easier. Get on Zoom at the very least and have a video call. Now it's body language. You got tone involved and what you say matters. So all these other companies are out there going like, yeah, just say this. Yeah, just say that. Yeah, just say this. That doesn't make the difference that you think it does. Number one, you're not going to say it the way that person does. Number two, you're not that person. So you don't come with their automatic level of authority, conviction, and, uh, you know, just how they feel, right? Like you're not going to sound like them. And if you try to sound like them, you're going to come off inauthentic, which is the worst thing you can do because inauthenticity kills KLT. You can't build no like and trust when you're not being yourself. So you have to adapt. How do we adapt a script to be ourselves? We practice it. How should we practice it? In front of a mirror? No. With uh, our partner? No. Because if they don't have amazing sales experience, if they're not better at selling than you are, then you're not learning. You're not getting better. You're just rehearsing. You need to rehearse with the best if you want to get better. So that's something that we offer at the dojo. That is our unique mechanism. So I want you to think about this. What is your unique mechanism? What sets you apart? What makes you better? And I can tell you that buying additional credentials is not a unique mechanism. Doesn't count. It's how do you deliver your service differently and better than everybody else does? And let's just be real with this too. Although adding, say, a breathing program to your business could create a sense of a unique mechanism, investing into that is not going to bring people to you still. You still have to be able to deliver on that value proposition and put that value prop out there into the world and get people to listen to you about it. So don't go out and say, I'm going to spend my last dime on this thing and it's going to change everything because it won't. It will not. You probably need to focus more on how you're communicating with your ideal audience, your avatar. If you don't know what your avatar is, maybe start there. Who are you trying to sell to? Who do you enjoy working with? Who are they? Like build that character. Um, you know, who, like what do they like to do? Where do they like to go? Um, you, what are their struggles? What are their goals? Uh, what's their family life like? What kind of communities are they involved in? And then go to those. Go find them and go talk to them. It's as simple as sending a Facebook friend request and then DMing them after they approve the request. How are things going, right? Don't start out with your sale. Please don't just send me a, a price via DM before I even know who the heck you are. I've had that happen 10 times this week. Can we stop doing that? It's not exactly on my myth table here, but it is something that we need to just calm the heck down on, and that's this DM sales nonsense. 
if you add me as a friend and I see your profile says, I help dads 30 to 35 year olds shed the dad bod. I'm like, okay, you're going to sell me something. So I add you as a friend just for funsies. And then immediately after I add you, I get a DM saying, hey, looks like you're uh, ready to make a fitness transformation. Uh, my program's only $9.99 for the next six weeks. I'm not responding to you and I will not buy from you. That is not building no like and trust. That is simply spray and pray. You're throwing your price out there into the world and you're like, well, I hope somebody says yes to this. And I'm sure a few people did. And it made you have this undue confidence. That is not a sales process. That's not how it works. That's not anything reliable. So please stop doing that. You're annoying a lot of people. Okay. Um, instead, just try to build KLT. Hey, what's going on? Uh, some of my favorite interactions have actually been with some like higher end, um, you know, salespeople, gurus, business coaches, right? A few of them, a few of them, a lot of them are terrible. Uh, but a few of them, I've had amazing DM interactions where they actually take the time, go to my profile, look at my profile, say, Hey, man, just wanted to say thanks for the ad. Also beautiful family. That's it. I say, Oh, great, man. Thanks a lot. And then they might say something like, I'm just curious, what is it that you do? right? And it's just a conversation. This is a way better way. And I, I get it. There's a lot of work to do it. I want to just copy paste my sales letter. Please don't. It's not effective. So stop wasting your time and stop wasting the times of other people. Okay. So, you know, we've, we've gone too far off the rails at this point. So I'm going to circle back to myth number two still. So uh, clients will not come to you if dot, 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 insert anything you think of, right? Clients will only come to you if you go to them, like you have to, uh, what was the movie with Will Smith hitch? You come 90, I come 10, right? You got to go 90% of the way there. They have to come the last 10%. That's how it actually works. So that means you've got to be putting out valuable content. Not everything's not a sales letter. Just put out some value into the world. You've got to go into the communities where these people exist. It might be a Facebook group, might be a physical community somewhere. Maybe it's a, a business networking group in your neighborhood. It could be that close. Stop, stop like just looking high level online, like start zeroing in on your local area. Um, you know, maybe you need to actually pick up the phone and dial some people. You got to call some people. You got to send some DMs. Focus on KLT. Don't just sell them. Okay, but just go talk to people. The more people you communicate with, the more sales you're going to make, period, the end. That's how sales works. Okay, it's a numbers game. If you're not playing the game, marketing included, yes, paid ads are involved in that too, to, you know, in my opinion, a lesser extent, but they are important. They play a role in driving traffic. Now you still have to put things out there to get people to come to you. So if you're sitting at home and you've got five to 10K a month in revenue right now, and you're just not growing and you're stalling out and you're stuck, and you're like, here's what I'll do. I'll get a better camera. I'll get a better mic. I'll get a better blah, blah, blah. I'll get more certs. This will not solve your problem. Please don't waste your money. Just take a breath and focus on putting the message out there. That's the only way you're going to get people to eventually come that 10% of the way to you is you got to reach out there 90%. All right. Myth number three to wrap this baby up. Okay, this is probably the worst myth um, for, for us especially. So if you guys don't know at this point, it'd be kind of silly if you don't, but maybe this is your first time listening to an episode. Uh, Joe and I run a company called the SOS Dojo or the Sales Objection System Dojo. So what do we do? 
We teach people how to handle sales objections. In fact, we teach them how to handle objections with conviction, be assertive, be confident, and live the life that they want to live. Because objections are not a blockade. They're simply a speed bump in every single sales process. It's a natural part, a natural part of the sales flow that you are going to encounter. <laughs> Go back to myth number one. It's going to happen. You have to be prepared. Better than prepared, you have to be prepared with a high level of conviction that you know you're worth what you're worth. You're worth what you're charging, that you're delivering value and you deserve to be compensated for it. So what does this have to do with myth number three? Myth number three is handling objections, and I should put this in quotes, handling objections is what slimy salespeople do. Someone gives you an objection, and I've had a comment like this on, you know, like an Instagram or TikTok that I posted. Uh, Some guy goes, just take the hint, they don't want to buy. Oh my gosh, if that's how we feel about objections, we're all in trouble, you guys, because I've said it a few times this episode, handling objections is a natural part of the sales process. It's what happens in educated, smart consumers who have been in more than one sales situation in your life, uh, which is basically everybody over the age of 12. Um, they've all dealt with sales and in the selling process. Like this is just a natural thing for them. They're going to object. In fact, in my circumstance, I object at least five times in every sales circumstance I find myself in. So if you are selling to me, understand that I will object to you five times. Why do I do that? I do that to learn from you. I want to see how you handle the objections. I want to see how you take it. I'm not messing with you. This is for educational purposes. I'm not trying to like ruin a person's day. I also want to see how persistent they are to get that sale. And I want to see if they slide into the aggressive side of things, if they stay assertive, or if they slide back to passive. If they're like, ooh, let me just go check with my manager. Oh, you know, they, they can get you an extra 10%, right? That's BS. Uh, what would you do if we added like this, this, and this on top? You game, right? Like that's a terrible close. So what I want to see is how they handle it. <laughs> for, for me, for selfish reasons, I can like learn from that, use it for content. I can maybe suggest that they join the SOS dojo. Maybe I get a client out of the deal too, which is always fun. Uh, you know, I, I just want to see how people handle that because I, I do feel as a, a society of coaches, coaching people, coaches trying to help the world and have impact on others' lives that we all kind of have this gut feeling that sales is bad, that selling is bad, that, that if I handle one objection, if I push back a little bit, if I try to help this person over the fence to make a decision, that would be good for them because I don't think anybody listening to this podcast is selling something that's bad for people. Otherwise, stop listening to this podcast and go find something else. We're all here to have a positive impact on human beings on this earth. So if that's the case, it is not only important that you handle objections, it's your job. It's the thing you're supposed to do. Otherwise, we end up letting people down. We end up preventing them from having that impact that they deserve to move their life in a positive direction. 
whether it's that you're selling mindfulness training or you're a career coach or you're a fitness coach changing people's bodies and they're they're improving their mental health in that way like why would we not handle an objection it's totally natural for somebody to say can I get a better deal? Do you mind if I think on this a little bit? Um, man, that's a bit expensive. I'm not sure I can afford this. Now, what's important for us to understand is that's not all true. These are just what we call stalling tactics. And we've all been in that position. Like I said, I will stall. If you try to sell me something, I'm going to stall five times. I promise you that. Any of you guys want to try a sales call with me, go for it. I will give you five objections. And if you handle them well, and I like you, and I see that your value proposition makes sense for me, or your unique mechanism sets you apart from everybody else, I will buy from you, if it makes sense. So what does that mean to you? Well, if somebody's objecting to you, it means they're not at that tipping point yet. Or maybe they're at that tipping point, and they just need to say one thing, and they'll jump over that fence, the grass is definitely greener on the other side now, and they agree to, the, to buy from you. It's not... It's not that you have to sell them per se, it's that they're agreeing to buy from you, okay? That's what we're shooting for. The best result is that people say, yes, let's do this, let's go. Now, along the way, they might stall a little bit. And again, what they're waiting for from you is for you to highlight that value, to really like bring it up in just bright neon signs and just say like, this is, this is what you need. This is what you need. And they have to feel good about that. So. If at the end they are objecting, it means we miss something. The best thing you can do is not crawl up into a little ball, a little fetal position, go into the corner of the room and cry about it and be like, oh, no, now they're not going to buy. Oh, no, they just wasted an hour of my time, maybe multiple hours of your time. The only way it's going to be a waste of your time is if you quit on them. So consider this. Could we not go back and highlight the things we talked about on that call? You should be taking notes or you should at least have a decent memory if you're not taking notes. We can circle back, it's called looping. So we can loop back and we say, hey, Mrs. Jones, totally appreciate where you're coming from right now. Now, earlier on on the call, when we were talking about your goals, this one stood out to me specifically. And then we highlight their goals. Because here's the thing, this is a, again, part of the natural sales process. When you present your prices, people will forget the conversation that you've had with them. Okay, there's uh, a little split of emotional and logical going on here. The emotional side is, I feel this pain, or I want to achieve these goals, or both. It's like, here's the negative, here's the positive. I want to get rid of this pain, and I want to embrace and feel this good stuff. That's the emotional side of it. Now, if you've done a good job with your sales process, and you've asked a lot of questions, then you have some concrete evidence of what's good and what's bad for this person. What do they want to get rid of and what do they want to embrace that's new and better and different? And then on the logical side of things, it's of course the math. How does this work into my budget? How does this work into you know, where I'm at financially right now without putting an extreme strain on myself? And people will create this bubble around their bank account. That's what a budget is. It's actually an invisible wall, right? So I'm creating this little force field around my bank and I'm saying, that's it. If, if a price hits this perimeter, I'm not purchasing, okay? But, but let's think for a second. If 
getting rid of this negative thing, let's take, you know, the fitness industry, for example, if I could lose this weight, if I could decrease my body fat, if I could reduce the amount of medication that I have to take, if I could spend more quality time with my family, if I could play with my kids, if I could pick my kids up over my head for the first time ever, if I could run a mile without gasping for air and throwing up, if I could just feel better on a daily basis, is that not worth X amount of dollars? And that is the, the, the equation that you're solving for them on the logical side is you're trying to bring the, the emotion and the logic together. If I can help a person understand, not get them, not make them understand, help them understand, come to this conclusion even on their own, even better by asking good questions that if they lose this weight, if they experience this change physically within their body, it's going to have all these positive mental effects on their life. It's going to make their life better. And that's where I said, get rid of the negative and embrace the positive, right? So this is the bad stuff. I want to lose this weight. I want to decrease his body fat. I want to improve my cardiovascular endurance. And then on the positive side, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to embrace all these amazing new things that I can do. Now I can go on long hikes. Now I can take my kids out in the world. I can have a more active lifestyle, which is enjoyable. I can have more endorphins in my life without getting them from these negative things like sugar and alcohol and, and nicotine or whatever else they're using or resorting to. Like they can live a better life, maybe a longer life. Is that not worth, again, I'll say X amount of dollars, you insert your price when you say that, okay? You insert your price. So uh, if you have a $5,000 program for 12 months, let's just say, throwing numbers out here, right? For 5K, we can do this. Is it not worth 5K for me to lose that weight, lose that body fat, and live this better life? And if they're saying no, then you've missed something. Because in my opinion, your health does not have a price. It doesn't have a price. Feeling that way, living that life is priceless. So I'd pay anything. Essentially, if you played this out, now I've heard this used in a sales process before. Please don't use this specifically. I'm not suggesting that at all. This is what you got to be thinking. If I could wave a magic wand and give you the perfect body, the exact body that you want, all the best health in the world, what would you pay for that? Okay, that's not an effective sales process. If you're trying to just be assertive, that's a more aggressive tactic, and it does not work consistently. So please don't use that in your sales process. But think this way, think this way. And this is for your own mental well being here as business owners. This is this is the, the, the part that gives you the conviction that helps you go in with that confidence so that you can do what you're supposed to do and get the results that you should be getting. And you can help this person which is our job, which is what we're here to do. So if I could wave a magic wand, if I could give you a magic pill, if you want to go matrix on it, whatever, like take the blue pill, take the red pill. If you take this pill, you get the perfect body. What would you pay for that pill? Just imagine that. Like that is essentially what you're promising. Now, again, I'm using a fitness example. If you guys are coaching in another industry, just insert an example from that industry. It's the same thing. If I could give you the career that you wanted. If I could, you know, help you find mindfulness and peace. If I could just give you peace with this pill, and it's not a drug, because <laughs> you can find that in other ways. But if I give you peace in a very healthy way with this pill, what would you pay for that? I mean, if we use the drug example, 
people pay a lot for drug drugs, right? Like they will pay almost anything for that. Um, that's a bad example. Don't don't do that. Don't do drugs, kids. Right, right, Chaz. Um, at any rate, if you gave them this thing and it got them the results that they wanted instantly, I have no doubt in my mind they would pay you almost any dollar amount. So then if at the end they're saying no, they're pushing you off, they're saying, let me think about it, something's missing. So the best thing you can do, the best thing you can do is loop back and help them refocus on the emotions, right? What they feel, how will they feel if, how will they feel if not? You need to cover that. And if you've got notes, it's easy. Then you go back to it. So make sure you've got what we call a discovery process in your sales process, which is asking the questions, learning about this person, and dig deep with that. Give you an example I heard this week uh, with one of our clients at the SOS Dojo. She's a fitness coach, specifically working on nutrition with women. And with one of the calls that she had that did not end in a sale, uh, when she was going through that consultation with this person, she went into... Uh, here's an example of like a sales process. There's heaven and hell, right? It's exactly what I was talking about, the good and the bad. So she went into hell, the bad, right, with this person. And she thought she went far enough with it. And she did what she said was, let them sit there, sit in it. Now, that's not always that effective, you guys. You still have to dig deeper. So she's asking questions. So you get this person to say um, uh, that she she avoids mirrors. She doesn't like what she sees in the mirror. Okay. It's definitely a bad thing. It's definitely something maybe we want to get rid of. She also got the person to say that she's been dealing with this weight issue for 25 years. Okay, 25 years is a long time. Now, the question I'd ask, if I asked her and I'm asking you is this, is that enough for someone to pay $4,000 for a three-month program? That's the question you got to ask. Is that enough? Is that powerful enough? Does that elicit enough of an emotional response for someone to part with $4,000 of their hard-earned money? Here's the problem that came up. This person also mentioned that she's financially on track for retirement in four years. So where do you think her headspace is? Her head is in the logic, in the finance side, right? She's money focused, not body focused. So although she wants to lose this weight, it's very easy for her to say like, well, let's do this. I'm four years out from retirement, I'm fi I'm a retirement. I'm fi financially on track to retire. I'll do that first. And then in four years, I'll start this fitness program. There you go. Problem solved, right? Done, dusted. She walks off. You don't get a deal. And she doesn't get this amazing improvement in her life. Now she's putting it on hold. Will she ever achieve that? We don't know. And that is the problem with letting people walk on what we call maybe, right? Instead of getting a yes or a no. It's not being pushy to try to get a yes or a no. You deserve a response that is yes or no. You deserve a response that is yes or no. You don't deserve maybe. Nobody deserves maybe. That's nonsense. And people don't come back. All right. Again, rule of consistency. If they don't come back every single time you let them walk, it's not something you can rely on. So don't tell me like, well, sometimes I let them go and they come back. Like, I don't care. If it doesn't happen 100% of the time, it's not part of your process. Capiche? I feel like that's like a perfect moment to say capiche. Uh, so <laughs> Chaz, Chaz loves podcasting with just me. Um, so yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, again, myth number three, handling objections is slimy. It's not true. It's not slimy. It's your job. If you're a coach, and you're trying to sell people on your program, 
the only way to get them to sign up is to sell them. So you have to have a sales process. So you have to handle objections. It's all how this thing works. So please don't let gurus and you know business coaches out there that have a big following tell you that you can eliminate objections, all of them, that you know clients will come to you if you just do this. If you just sign up for my program, clients will just come flooding through the door. It's not true. In fact, I've signed up for those programs in the past. And I've actually had them come through the door and it was a bad thing. They flooded my gym with the wrong clients. And maybe you guys have experienced this, especially if you've been in the fitness industry. It was a six week challenge. It was a bait and switch gimmick and it didn't work long term. It had no longevity to it. It was a bad idea. So there's an example where they actually were right, but they sent the wrong people to me. So I don't want that either. Don't believe everything you hear. Don't believe that hype. Right. And then myth number three, of course, handling objections is not slimy. There's no way that that is just what you're supposed to do to make a sale. There's no way to make a sale without handling objections. Okay. So hopefully this is helpful for you. Basically, whenever Joe's gone, what I do is I I step up on a big soapbox and I rant for like 30 minutes. Uh so was it 35 today, Charles? Did I beat my record? 37 minutes, man, I'm crushing it. All right. So hopefully this was helpful for you guys. If it was, of course, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, drop us a five-star review, send us an email, jeff at sosdojo.com. I'd love to hear from you. Love to talk about, you know, any questions that you got. If you want to role play something out, if you want me to walk through an objection uh, with Joe, we're happy to do that. It's a blast to do that on the show. I'd love to have people more involved. And of course, don't believe any of these myths. Please just don't believe them. For your own sake and for the sake of your current clients, your future potential clients, do not believe these myths. Do not listen to people who say this stuff. It's nonsense. Selling is natural. We've all been selling for years and years and years. It doesn't like your kids sell to you all the time when they say, Mom, buy me this cereal. It is a normal process for us as human beings. And as long as you're offering something that actually is valuable, that actually provides value to a human being's life and has a positive impact, then you're good. You're doing a good thing handling objections. Don't don't let anybody else beat you up on that. All right. So let's get after it, you guys. Have a great rest of your week. Go crush it. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Chaz takes out of here.